Amen. I trust that's your testimony tonight. Boy, the best place to be is right there in the center of God's will. Young people, there's no better place to be. Surrendered and right in the center of God's will. I can give testimony to that. So thankful for that. Thank you, Brother Sam, for ministering to our hearts. First Kings, chapter number 17 in your Bibles tonight. First Kings, chapter number 17. <clears throat> Let me ask you this question. Have you ever felt like you were running on empty? You know, you go on a vacation to try to rejuvenate and refill. Sometimes you come back from vacation empty, don't you? Running on empty. And you need a vacation from the vacation. Some of you might be saying, that's how I feel right now. That's it, Brother Brandon. <laughs> but running on empty, I, maybe you found yourself in a situation that I had recently. I was driving my truck, and I don't drive my truck a lot. We a lot of times carpool in, my wife and I, as we come in each day. And, uh, but we had a situation where I needed to drive the truck, and, uh, and I'm driving, and, and all of a sudden, have you ever had this? You look down, and the, the E-light is on, the empty light, you know, the gas light. And I looked down at that, and I thought, how long has this thing been on, you know? <laughs> if I'm just now noticing this, uh, when, and you're, you're trying to notice, is the needle closer to the, you know, the front of the red line or the back of the red line? How much time do I have? Normally, it's when I'm riding my mower, and uh, I'm a little more risky on my mower. You know, I look down, and I see the light on, and I'm like, I can get another stripe in. I know I can get another, I couldn't get another stripe in, and I'm walking back and grabbing the gas can and walking with the mower. Not so bad, but on this morning, I was in a hurry, and I needed to be somewhere on time. And so I'm thinking, do I stop and get gas and be late, or do I just keep going and, and, you know, Try to keep running on empty. Maybe it hasn't been with your car. Maybe, maybe it's been physically, you know. Maybe you haven't had enough sleep lately. And <clears throat> you've had, uh, maybe you're a little sick. And uh, maybe you've had a lot of work. And physically, you've just been running on empty. Uh, you know, I know some teenagers here know what it's like, especially teenage boys, to be running on empty when it comes to food. Now, you should be good after Thanksgiving and, and all the uh, seconds and thirds and fourths, but uh, running on empty, I think we all know what that is like. Well, here in our passage, we see a prophet, a widow, and her son who were all running on empty. Would you read the passage with me? First Kings chapter 17, we'll look at verses 8 through 12. <clears throat> the Bible says, and the word of the Lord came unto him, this is Elijah, the prophet, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Verse 10, so he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, now I'm trying to imagine what Elijah must be thinking. First of all, to be told that a widow is going to sustain you, that, that may seem a little bit out of place. Back in that day, widows were definitely not known for people that had great sustenance, uh, great provisions. It would be more of an exception to the rule back then. And so you can just imagine he's coming onto the scene wondering what he's going to find. And here we see the picture. Behold, it says in verse 10, And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there, gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. Now, can I give a little background? Elijah had just gone to Ahab, 
And he had prophesied, great prophecy, that there was not going to be rain on the earth. No rain. And uh, it was after that that the Lord had him go to the brook Kidron. And the Lord provided for him there at the brook until the water dried up. Why did the water dry up? Because there was no rain. God fulfilled his prayer, the prophecy. There was no rain. So think about that as he's asking this widow who's gathering sticks to bring him a vessel of water. And he says in verse 11, and as she was going to fetch it, she's probably already thinking, give him water. We, we don't, doesn't he know there's a famine in the land? Doesn't he know there's no water? Doesn't he know that what I've got, this is all I have left? Well, it says, as he w- she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, oh, oh, by the way, by the way, bring me, I pray thee, a, a morsel of bread in thy hand. This sounds like me, you know, when I've gone up to my room to watch a football game and I ask my wife to graciously go get me a drink and as she's going down there, I start, my brain starts going, boy, it sure would be nice to watch the game with some popcorn too. Hey, honey, while you're down there, could you get some popcorn? And uh, my wife being great, sure, sure, I'll get some popcorn. And, you know, as she's coming up the steps, you forgot you wanted butter on the popcorn. And, oh, honey, honey, I forgot. Oh, please, could you bring me some butter? Sure. Is there, is there anything else you would like me to bring? Anybody been there before? Okay. I think that's sort of where the widow was here, right? Okay, some water. Okay, okay, okay. And, and, uh, and, and a handful of meal. But then he goes on to say, and a little oil in a cruise. He asked for this bread. And her response, she says, I have not a cake. But a handful of meal in, in a barrel and, and a little oil in a cruise. She finally breaks down and says to him, listen, I, I don't have much. All I've got is just a little bit of oil. Just, just a little bit of meal that could make some bread. And behold, she, she just is flat out honest with him and says, what I was actually doing, I'm gathering two sticks. That I may go in and dress it for, for me and my son. By the way, I have a son that I'm caring for as a widow. Notice what she says that we may eat it and die. This is a pretty serious situation that this widow woman and her son were in and that Elijah found them in. But God had a purpose in all of it, didn't he? And I want to preach a message tonight on running on empty. And I want you to see how God sometimes in our lives allows our tanks to reach empty so that he can teach us some very important lessons. Now, hopefully the points tonight for for you will be easy to remember. They're actually the three songs that we sang earlier. And so I want you to notice the first lesson that God taught them from having empty tanks. Number one, notice trust and obey. Trust and obey. And I notice two words that that are there in verse 9. Notice it with me. It says, Arise... Get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have, notice this word, commanded. And notice a second word, a widow woman there to sustain thee. We'll talk about those two words in just a second. God allowed a situation where faith and obedience, trust and obey, was required for, for everybody that was involved here in this situation. I heard of a missionary who had... As a missionary kid, he now was a missionary, but he was telling the story of when he was growing up, they lived in the jungle, and, uh, you know, 
it not, it's not all bad being a missionary kid. My wife was a missionary kid, and she tells me some pretty awesome stories. How many of you have ever had a chimpanzee as a pet? My wife had a chimpanzee as a pet. His name was Chocolate. And uh, she tells me about how, you know, they would try to set chocolate down, and he'd be holding on to them with the hands, and you'd pry the hands off, and you'd go to sit him down, and he'd be holding on to you with his feet then. And then you'd pry the feet off, and you'd try to sit him down, and his hands and feet would be off, but then he'd be holding on to you with his leg. And uh, I can just imagine the fun that she had growing up with a pet chimpanzee. Well, uh, this particular missionary was telling about fun that they had as kids, and in their jungle house that they had, the raptors were exposed. And he said that what he and his siblings like to do is they love to jump up and hang on the rafters. And then like monkeys go from rafter to rafter, they're in their house. I can just picture the siblings going around the house, around, you know, the mom, please, please don't go over top of the dinner table when you're hanging from the rafters. You know, and just the fun that they were having. there. Well, he said one day I was in the house by myself and I was going from rafter to rafter. And he said my dad came in. And he said I looked over just that my attention being caught, my dad coming in. And I noticed my dad looked at me sternly all of a sudden. And he said, it happened just like this. He said, my dad looked at me sternly and looked over to the side a little bit and said, drop. He said, thankfully I obeyed. He dropped to the ground because he said on the next rafter where he was getting ready to put his hand, there was a green mamba snake, very poisonous, that had he not obeyed, had he not trusted his dad. You know, a lot of young people, if we're not careful, we say, but why? I don't understand why can't I do this and why do I have to do this? I, I bet you that young man was thankful. He didn't go, but why? You know, sometimes we have to trust, don't we? And not just young people, but, but us adults too have to trust our Heavenly Father. We have to trust and obey. Notice God allows emptiness in our life in order to motivate us to do two important things that we see here in our passage. Notice, A, emptiness requires us to trust the Lord. I noticed that word widow that we pointed out earlier in verse 9. We also see in verse 12, it's not just the widow, but it's her son as well. And uh, we, we, we would assume that the father, we don't know how he died, but uh, it's very possible that, that the son was sick. Because we see in verse 17, not long after this, he dies. And so here you have this widow. They don't have, obviously, much to drink because there's a famine in the land. And because there's not much water, there's probably not much vegetation and things growing. They don't have a lot of food. Here she is caring for her son. She has no husband to till the field or do any work to help provide for the family. And she's taking care, most likely, of a sick son. Try to put yourself in her shoes. I think that classifies for running on empty. Widows in the Bible, as we mentioned, are not people that you would think of of great provision. James 1.27 tells us this, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is to this, visit the fatherless and the widows. Here we had both, don't we? We have a widow and we have a fatherless son. And by the way, you know, we need to take care of the widows in our church. And I'm so thankful for the godly widows and widowers that we have in our church and the faithfulness and the testimony that they have. But as a church, we have a responsibility to be a blessing and a help and encouragement to them as well. We had a situation a while back when things got a little tight financially. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in a, a, a tight spot. 
Of course, we try to have uh, emergency funds saved up. They say to have an emergency fund, so we had emergency funds saved up. And uh, we had bought a house. We felt like we were in a comfortable position to, to, to buy a house. We were needing to get something a little bit bigger, and so we sort of went out on a limb, and, and we, we had our budget. We had things figured out, and so we went through with that. And, and then uh, one of our cars broke down and found out we were going to be needing to buy another car. And so an unexpected expense, and, and so we took care of that and got the car that we needed, and then we had another uh, health expense come in. And uh, just was totally unexpected. And I'm looking at our, at our finances, and I'm, I'm looking at our emergency fund. And the emergency fund at this point is gone, you know. And uh, I like having cushion. How many like having cushion? I like cushion. I like, you know, a bit of knowing that I've got some room here. But we got to a point where we were running a little bit on empty. You ever been there? But I'm so thankful the Lord brought us through that. I, I don't necessarily wouldn't have chosen that, but I look back on those times of having to trust the Lord and, and praying together as a family as really precious times that God taught us lessons of how to trust Him and obey when you're running on empty. Emptiness requires us to trust the Lord. And then I notice emptiness encourages us to obey the Lord. That second word that we saw in verse 9, commanded. Uh, commanded is God telling us to do something. When God tells us to do something, we need to obey. May not always be easy, though, to obey, especially when you're looking at a situation and you're trying to understand things in your own understanding. Lord, you're commanding me to take care of this prophet and to give him this food and provide this meal for him, but Lord, you know what we have, and Lord, it's not much at all. This widow had concluded in her mind, she'd already calculated what they had. I'm sure she was uh, experienced at cooking and knew uh, what kind of things she would need to make meals, and she'd calculated her mind, and they were down to their last one. And her response to the prophet says it all. You know, before you came, I was gathering sticks to fix this last meal. We we're going to die. But you know what? It's those times when we don't understand what's going on that God gives us a command to obey him in a certain area in our life. And listen, folks, when we obey him, God blesses in ways that we cannot imagine. I'm not here tonight preaching a health, wealth gospel, okay? Uh, I'm not here telling you that when you obey, God's going to give you a million dollars. Listen, it may not be in a monetary form. The blessing may come back in having kids that walk with God. Boy, that's priceless. But let me tell you, the blessing will come back. Emptiness encourages us to obey the Lord. Hey, it wasn't just the widow. It wasn't just her son. It was Elijah too. Elijah didn't have anything. As we mentioned, you go back to the brook Kidron there. He's sitting next to this brook that's drying up. And incredibly, the Lord was feeding him using a bird that went against everything he believed in and trusted as a Jew. And uh, he had to obey the Lord in that. He had to trust the Lord in that. But that brook dried up. There was no more food or drink there, and God commanded him to move on to this widow. You know, in his own understanding, he could have thought, Lord, you've taken me to this widow? Lord, I don't understand. 
Lord, I don't have anything, but I'm looking at her, and she's running on empty too. But you know what? Elijah, the widow, obeyed the Lord. They were running on empty, but they learned to trust and obey. You know, when you don't have much, when you don't have anything, you realize you don't have much authority. How many have ever heard the statement, beggars can't be choosers? Okay, you know, sometimes I, I look at my kids, you know, and if we go to some restaurant and they don't really like a certain food or whatever, um, sometimes I'll look at them and say, well, hey, that's fine. Next month you can pay the, the grocery bill and the eating out bill. That's not a problem at all. It quickly solves the problem. Why? Because when you're running on empty, you don't, you're not the one who's in much authority to say what about anything. God sometimes brings us to a spot where our tank is empty so that we're ready to obey him. We're ready to, to follow his commands. Now tonight, maybe you find yourself running on empty in a certain area of life. I don't know what it might be, but it may be that the Lord is helping you to learn the lesson of trust and obey. Notice the second lesson that we see here that God taught them as their tanks were running on empty. We see number two. Second point is I surrender all. We sang that tonight. I Surrender all. It's a great lesson to learn. To take everything that you have and place it in God's hands. Because there's no better place to be but in God's hands. In the center of his will. Look at verses 10 through 12. It says there, So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was gathering of sticks, and he called her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel. We already mentioned the fact that there wasn't much water in the land because of the famine. That I might drink. Verse 11, And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. The bread that she didn't have much left of. Verse 12, and she said, as the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. You know, emphasis here to me as I read through this passage is on the little that she has. But can I tell you, the little that we might have is just enough when it's placed in God's hands. See, but Brother Brandon, you don't understand. I'm just a little kid. I don't have a job. I don't have a lot of money I could give to missions. Hey, can I tell you something? The little that you have is enough in God's hands. Let me encourage you with a couple points under this. Number one, give it first. Give it first. I noticed down in verse 13, follow if you would, down in verse 13, Elijah said unto her, fear not, in response to what she said to him, Go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake. Notice the word there, first, and bring it unto me. And after, make for thee and for thy son. You see, there's something special about the first of something. Isn't that true? Yeah, I think of simple things like, uh, you know, you're the summertime and it's hot and, and you get a Coke, you know, and you, you open up that Coke and tss, you got the fizz noise and you see fizz coming out and maybe there's some some uh, vapor coming out because you're outside and it's hot 
and you're getting ready to, you, maybe you've been on the mower and you've been working hard and you're getting ready to down this, this soda and you're looking forward to that first fresh sip and all of a sudden, daddy, daddy. And you look down and there's these puppy dog eyes and you see your son or your daughter and they say, daddy, can I have a sip? Oh, that's so difficult. That first sip, everybody wants to have that first sip, and, but because you love your daughter or your son, you hand them that Coke and you watch them as they imbibe that first beautiful gulp. You know, it's so hard sometimes to, to give away that first thing. That first thing is special. Maybe you're sitting at a meal, and, and uh, I don't know if you're like me, but whatever I order and whatever my wife orders, hers always looks better. Does anybody else have that problem? And so, you know, you're sitting there, and we do like to share meals. It it's, uh, saves on the budget, and I find you off, often you get more food than what you need nowadays in restaurants anyhow. But, uh, you know, when you get something to eat, and it's fresh, and it's hot, you're not necessarily wanting to share it right then and there. You know, it's our nature. You know, maybe after I'm full a little bit, maybe after I've had a little bit of my full and fill, and, and uh, you know, I've eaten it while it's hot, then I'll share it, you know. Maybe I'll do it then. It's hard to do it at first, isn't it? Maybe it's the first paycheck. I don't know if you remember getting your first job, getting your first paycheck. I remember working uh, first time, and I got that paycheck, and boy, it seemed like a ton of money, you know, because I'd never earned money in my life. And so I get this paycheck and say, wow. And I'm sitting there thinking, woohoo, what can I go buy? And all of a sudden, Dad says, hey, you know you need to tithe on that. Okay, okay, and dad helps figure out what the tithe on that is, and you're like, wow, that's a lot of money. It's hard to give first to the Lord sometimes, isn't it? But you know, God deserves the first fruits. I love that term, first fruits. 25 times in the Old Testament, the word first fruits is used. We see it in Proverbs 3 and verse 9 that says this, and I think it does go along with our giving to the Lord and our tithe, it says, honor the Lord with thy substance. And notice, with the first fruits of all thine increase. You know, you get that paycheck and you've got in mind what you want to go out and buy. Hey, you know what we ought to have in mind is, Lord, thank you for how you provided for me. And Lord, what a joy it is. The Bible talks about being a joyful giver. What a joy it is to give this to you first. Because you're the one that really gave this to me in the first place. First fruits. 25 times there in the Old Testament. And it's not just something we find in the Old Testament. By the way, there's a, there's a feast of first fruits that the Jews celebrated. It was a feast to give thanks to the Lord for all that he'd done. So very similar, I would say, to our thanksgiving. But we see it also in the New Testament. This isn't just an Old Testament principle. But we find it in James 1 and verse 18. I love this verse. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You know, we should give of ourselves first to the Lord. Isn't that what the Bible teaches when he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Are you willing to do God's will first in your life, to surrender yourself first to God and give him, your, him yourself as a kind of first fruits to the Lord. Give it first. But then I notice also, give it all. I surrender all. And I see there in verse 12, she says, I'm gathering two sticks that I may go in and 
dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. You know what she was saying there? She's saying, this is all I've got. It's all. I remember as Jesus was peering over and looking at a certain widow, as he'd watched perhaps some Pharisee come and give his offering, blow the trumpet and all these crazy things that they did. Nobody noticed except for Jesus, this widow who came up and dropped in something that probably nobody could even see what she dropped in. It was a widow's mite. And the Lord said to his disciples, hey, 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 let me get your attention. They were probably looking over at the Pharisee and that whole thing. Hey, hey, look over there. She's given more than anybody because she's given all that she has. Heard a preacher one time say, it's not how much you give, but how, how much you have left over after you give. Have you given everything to God? Have you given your children to the Lord? Lord, if you want my child to be a missionary in another country, Lord, they're yours. Have you given your grandchild to the Lord? You know, sometimes we have dreams and visions for our children. Maybe you have a business and you have a vision of your child taking the family business or whatever it might be. Maybe you have, you know, in your mind, you're trying to help them get a good education because you want to see them make a lot of money down the road. Look, I'm not saying anything, any of those things are bad. Not saying that might not be God's will. But is it God's will? And have you surrendered your children to the Lord? Have you surrendered yourself to the Lord, young people? Because your parents can dedicate you to the Lord like so often we have dedications of young babies here. But can I tell you something? Ultimately, it comes down to whether you'll surrender yourself to God and say, Lord, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do and ask God to reveal that to you. Hey, can I tell you, it's a wonderful thing to be able to give it all to God. I think about examples of this in the scripture. And you know, when you give it all to God, he never leaves you with nothing. He always gives you back more than you could have ever imagined. I think of the little boy with the five loaves and the two fishes. He'd heard the problem, the fact that here were all these people that, that, that needed to eat. They'd been there to hear Jesus preach. And, and his mom was gracious and kind to pack him with a bag lunch. And I imagine he's got the five loaves and two fishes and he's hearing them talk about the people needing to eat. And he's looking down at his food and he's hearing what they say, looking down at his food. And in his heart, he knew what he needed to do. He walks over and he maybe he tags on one of, the, one of the disciples. Hey, go away. No, no, come on, we're busy. We're trying to figure out how to take care of this problem. And he's sitting there thinking, well, I, I think the Lord wants me to help with this problem. He goes and he tags on another missionary and finally gets their attention. What what do you want? Uh, Can't you see we're busy? Yes, sir, but I heard you need food and I've got five loaves and two fishes. Jesus in the conversation finally asks, what do we have here? Someone finally says, Lord, I'm sorry. Uh, There's there's a little boy over here and he's got five loaves and two fishes. What does he have? Uh, Five loaves and two fishes. Hey, bring them to me. Can you imagine that little boy's face as the Lord began to take that bread and break it and break it? We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper tonight, his body that was broken for us. But that bread as he broke it and broke it again over and over again. And that fish as he broke that and he gave thanks and fed 5,000 men. Beyond that, women and children, can you imagine that little boy's face? And the Bible says that 
there were so many leftovers that each disciple had a basket to carry away. There were 12 baskets, and I think there were 12 baskets to remind those disciples, listen, I'm the Lord. I'm God. I can do anything. They had doubted the Lord's ability, but the Lord can do anything. And I just, the Bible doesn't say this, and I'm not trying to start some new doctrine, but I just happen to think maybe that little boy got to go home with some leftovers. Can you imagine him running in the house maybe with three, four times what he had brought in? And he runs in the house, Mom, Mom, you're never going to believe this. You're never going to believe this. And he's got all these fish and bread, and he tells the story of what God had done because he was willing to give it all. I think of, of Moses. And all that we heard about this recently, I think it was the missionary that came through and the rod that he had in his hand. But you think about all that God did with that rod. I was thinking about it, how he used it to swallow up the serpents, that rod. Just a simple rod. To strike the Nile River and turn the water into blood. The Bible says that he struck the dust. And God caused frogs to come out in that plague. And then he struck the dust again and lice came out. Of course, it was that rod that God commanded him to put over the Red Sea and it parted. All the things that God did with that simple thing that he handed over to the Lord. I think about how he took that rod and God commanded him to strike the rock. And out of the rock came water. And of course, we see the picture of salvation there. I think about how he held that rod up, and as long as he had the rod up, as they were fighting the Amalekites, God gave them the victory. All because Moses was willing to give what was in his hand, a simple rod to God. I think about how God asked Abraham to give his one and only promised son. Now, five loaves and two fishes is one thing. I like lunch, but I can share that. A rod is another thing. Just a stick. But to be willing to give your only son, your, your promised son, yeah, that's what Abraham did. He gave it all. But God, of course, provided himself a lamb instead. And God always provides more than what we give to him. We could talk about the widow's might. We could talk about Mary's gift to Spikener. We could talk about Haniel, uh, Hannah and, and, and Samuel and how she dedicated him to the Lord. What is God asking you to surrender tonight? Maybe that you've been resisting. Maybe that you've been holding back some sort of giving to missions. Maybe surrendering a child. Maybe a surrendering of yourself to God's service. Can I encourage you tonight to surrender it all? Notice the third lesson that they learned as they were running on empty. A lesson that all of us need to learn, and that is number three. Fill my cup, Lord. Fill my cup, Lord. Folks, isn't that what we need? We need the Lord to fill our cups. The Bible talks about having our cup filled and running over. You know, I, I think of that as waking up in the morning and having your devotions, getting in God's Word, and God fills you up spiritually, and then the things that God gives you there in the morning, they flow out of your life, they spill over, they spill over on your children. They spill over on your spouse. They spill over on those with whom you have contact, contact with. God fills your cup and lets it run over. We need God to fill our cups up. We need to bring our cups to the Lord empty and, and needy to Him and depend on the Lord. Now, can I remind you of two lessons as we close? Number one, you can't outgive God. You can't do it. You know, I think it's a great challenge to do. 
to try to get out give God. But I can promise you this, you can't do it. But God asks you to surrender to him little so that he can put it in his hands and do much, so that he can do something supernatural with it. Luke 6 and verse 38 says, Give and it shall be given unto you. I love this verse. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over shall men give into your bosom. We're talking about God giving. It says this is how men will give back to you when you give. Imagine what God can do. Psalm 81 and verse 10, I am the Lord thy God which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. He says, open thy mouth wide and I will fill it. We read Proverbs 3, 9 earlier, honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of thy increase. Can I read the next verse? Verse 10, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. You can't outgive God. Malachi 3 and verse 10, talking about our tithes, says, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord. He says, put me to the test. God wants you to put him to the test, folks. Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. You cannot outgive God. Number two, God doesn't run out. Aren't you thankful for that? God doesn't run out. I love here in our passage, look at verses 14 through 16. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth, Verse 15, and she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat, notice, many days. We see that repeated in the next chapter. That's how long it took until the rain came. But many days the Lord provided for her. Verse 16, and the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail according to the word of the Lord which he spake by Elijah. God doesn't run out. His resources are unlimited. It was Joseph's testimony in Genesis 48 and verse 15. and says he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all my life long unto this day. And you think of all that Joseph went through. He says, but God was there all along. His provisions never ran out in my life. The Bible talks about I've not seen the righteous forsaken nor the Lord's seed begging bread. Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. How much does he have? More than you can ever imagine. Psalm 15 verse 10 says, for every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle upon a thousand hills. We'll close with this verse. Having just celebrated Thanksgiving, I thought it would be an appropriate passage to end on when we think about how much God has, how much he can give, 2 Corinthians 9, 8 through 11. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor. His righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, 
and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Verse 11, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. We just celebrated Thanksgiving. Sometimes we'll sit around and we'll do a little game, so to speak, and we'll start with the alphabet and we'll each give an A of what we're thankful for as we go around the table and we're eating our meal. Then we'll give a B of what we're thankful for. Inevitably, we get through the alphabet and we just keep going. And, you know, I, sometimes we're on a certain letter and like, okay, okay we got to go on to the next letter. But folks, isn't that how the Lord is? You can't count the blessings. There's more than can be named. And we ought to give him thanksgiving. I remember a couple years ago, we're getting ready to go on the Amazon here, and so I was thinking about our trip that we took a couple years ago. And Brother Richard and I, we went with a missionary down the river while the other guys were building uh, the Bible Institute that's there. Went about 11 hours down the river. And there were a million things that happened on that trip. Many, many stories that I have to tell. I should probably write a book. But I remember coming back. We had we'd brought a certain amount of gas. We'd only brought bread and water on this trip. And we were coming back on the river, and thankfully we were going downriver. So the river had a current that was helping us go a little bit faster as we were coming back. But in the middle of the night as we were traveling down that river, we ran out of gas. The driver of the boat had miscalculated how much gas he would need. And I have to tell you, it was a little bit scary. When you're there on that Amazon River and that current's carrying you, and you know you're coming to the spot where you got to be, but it's a big river. And you've got to somehow get over it. If you don't get to that, and we had, a, we had a satellite phone, so I thought, oh, we're good. I remember the missionary talking about the satellite phone, and he gets out the satellite phone, and he says, hey, it's, it's okay, guys. We'll call one of the other guys there, and they can get another boat. They can come over and help us get over. He pulls out the satellite phone, and you hear this beeping noise. Uh, guys, uh, the satellite phone's not charged. We need to pray. And I remember sitting there, and we're praying, and, and we get done praying. And then they, they say, hey, let's look. There's got to be oars here in the boat. And so, you know, got these little compartments, and you're looking underneath. Someone pulls out an oar. I said, praise the Lord, we got an oar. And so we're looking, and where's the other oar? I don't know. Do you guys have it? No, I don't see it. Do you have it? No. We only had one oar. All right, well, let's try, to, let's try to see if we can get us closer over to the right side of the river. It's a big river. And so here we take the oar and we pass, give it to one side, and one guy is rowing on the one side. It's a pretty big boat. You know, and you sort of feel the boat start to go to one side, and then as it's getting to go too much, you give it to the other guy, and they pass it over there, and we're just, we're just basically going in circles. It's not really helping anything. And I remember just sitting there. I'm sitting next to Richard, and I, I have to admit, I don't know that it was a prayer. I, I think I was just sort of like, I guess it's prayer. I was just sort of talking out loud to the Lord, and I was like, Lord, it'd be nice to have another oar. Now, we've been traveling on this river for probably 11 hours at this point. I had seen a, a lot of other things there on the river. Usually it was, you know, animals and, and creatures and whatnot. But I'd never seen an oar there in the river. I saw a pink dolphin. That's a pretty crazy thing. They got pink dolphins there, freshwater dolphins in the Amazon. I'd never seen an oar. And I, I really wasn't in my heart and faith praying for an oar. I was just expressing my desire to the Lord. And I had my flashlight, and I wanted to see these pink dolphins. So, you know, we're all just sort of sitting there trying to figure out what we're going to do. I had my flashlight. I'm looking out, and these pink dolphins are coming out in the water, and I'm just sort of fascinated by them. And all of a sudden, I see this thing. I'm like, what is that? You know, and this thing's coming and floating by us. What is that? 
And I noticed it was wood. And all of a sudden, I mean, it's about right next to us. I say, guys, there's an ore. And I mean, we were all so dumbfounded by it that we were just like, you know, just sort of frozen looking at it. To the point where we almost missed grabbing. They were like, hey, grabbing. You know, we're all fumbling over ourselves trying to grab the ore. The Lord had provided another ore. And as we came near the city where we needed to get over to the one side, we had both those oars and we were able to get over to the side. I'll never forget. Here we were running on empty. God taught me a lesson. Trusting in the Lord. Tonight, I don't know where you might be in life. Maybe you're running on empty. Will you learn the lessons to trust and obey? To surrender all and to let the Lord Fill up your cup. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Ask the pianist to come, Brother Scott, to lead us in a verse of invitation. In just a moment, we'll have a chance to have the Lord's Supper. But maybe the Lord's doing a work in your heart tonight. Maybe you're here and you'd say, I'm, Brother Brandon, I, if I'm honest, I'm empty spiritually. I've, I've never been saved. I, I've never put my trust in the Lord to save me from my sins. I'd never asked him to come in my heart. I'm empty spiritually. Maybe tonight you need to come and let someone show you from the Bible how the Lord can put his spirit in you, can save you from your sins and wash your sins away. As a Christian, maybe you're here tonight, the Lord's allowed some circumstances in your life. Maybe you'd say, I've been running on empty, Brother Brandon. I've needed this tonight. Would you pray that God would help me to trust and obey, to to surrender what I have to him and to let him fill up my cup. You'd say, Brother Brandon, pray for me. God spoke to my heart. I have been running on empty, and I've needed to learn these lessons. Would you pray for me, Brother Brandon, tonight? God spoke to my heart. God bless you. Amen. Others tonight, you'd say, pray for me. It's a lesson that I am needing to learn. I've been running on empty. Father, I pray that you would work in hearts tonight as only you can. Lord, when we come to the moment where you allow our tank to be running on empty, help us to learn the lessons of trusting you, surrendering to you, and allowing you to bless in our lives. In Jesus' name.